The following reading is from a section from All Quiet on the Western Front by Eric Maria Remarque. Already it has become somewhat lighter. Steps hasten over me. The first, gone. Again, another. The rattle of machine guns becomes an unbroken chain. Just as I am about to turn round a little, something heavy stumbles, and with a crash a body falls over me into the shell hole, slips down, and lies across me. I do not think at all. I make no decision. I strike madly at home, and feel only how the body suddenly convulses, then becomes limp, and collapses. When I recover myself, my hand is sticky and wet. The man gurgles. It sounds to me as though he bellows. Every gasping breath is like a cry, a thunder. But it is not only my heart pounding. I want to stop his mouth, stuff it with earth, stab him again. He must be quiet. He is betraying me. Now at last I regain control of myself, but have suddenly become so feeble that I cannot anymore lift my hand against him. So I crawl, away to the farthest corner and stay there, my eyes glued on him, my hand grasping the knife, ready. If he stirs to the spring at him again, but he won't do so anymore, I can hear that already in his gurgling. I can see him indistinctly. I have but one desire, to get away. If it is not soon, it will be too light. It will be difficult enough now. Then as I try to raise up my head, I see it is impossible already. The machine gun fire so sweeps the ground that I should be shot through and through before I can make one jump. I test it once with my helmet, which I take off and hold up to find out the level of the shots. The next moment it is knocked out of my hand by a bullet. The fire is sweeping very low to the ground. I am not far enough from the enemy line to escape being picked off by one of the snipers if I attempt to get away. The light increases. Burning I wait for our attack. My hands are white at the knuckles. I clench them so tightly in my longing for the fire to cease so that my comrades may come. Minute after minute trickles away. I dare not look again at the dark figure in the shell hole. With an effort, I look past it and wait, wait. The bullets hiss, they make a steel net, never ceasing, never ceasing. Then I notice my bloody hand and suddenly feel nauseated. I take some earth and rub the skin with it. Now my hand is muddy and the blood cannot be seen anymore. The fire does not diminish. It is equally heavy from both sides. Our fellows have probably given me up for lost long ago. It is early morning, clear and gray. The gurgling continues. I stop my ears, but soon take my fingers away again, because then I cannot hear the other sound. The figure opposite me moves. I shrink together and involuntarily look at it. Then my eyes remain glued to it. A man with a small pointed beard lies there. His head is fallen to one side, one arm is half bent, his head rests helplessly upon it, the other hand lies on his chest, it is bloody. He is dead, I say to myself, he must be dead. He doesn't feel anything anymore, 
It is only the body that is gurgling there. Then the head tries to raise itself. For a moment, the groaning becomes louder. His forehead sinks back upon his arm. The man is not dead. He is dying. But he is not dead. I drag myself toward him. Hesitate, support myself on my hands. Creep a bit farther. Wait. Again, a terrible journey. At last, I am beside him. Then he opens his eyes. He must have heard me, for he gazes at me with a look of utter terror. The body lies still, but in the eyes, there is such an extraordinary expression of fright that for a moment, I think they have power enough to carry the body off with them, hundreds of miles away with one bound. The body is still perfectly still, without a sound. The gurgle has ceased, but the eyes cry out, yell. All the life is gathered together in them for one tremendous effort to flee, gathering together there in a dreadful terror of death of me. You're listening to Over the Top, a great war podcast. I'm your host, Richard Cantu. Please join me as I talk about World War I history and preserve the stories from the soldiers who lived through it. Welcome back, folks. This is episode 53, and it's going to be a special episode on All Quiet on the Western Front or anything that has to do with All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, if you listen to the last episode, The Ottomans, you're probably expecting a part two. That will be episode 54, which I'll work on right after I get done with this. Um, I also said in the last episode, my wife and I were just moved. We're getting settled in, so I'm just asking for just a little time to get settled in before I release that one. But I think this is definitely relevant because this is the new version of All Quiet on the Western Front just came out. I want to give a review about that. I want to talk a little bit about the book. Just, you know, all around, we're just going to talk All Quiet on the Western Front. This may not be the longest episode. It's pretty much candid. I'm here on the mic talking I got a rum in hand, Diplomatico rum. I'm going to sip this thing. Um, it's probably just a very small, small portion of this episode that's scripted, but, but not much. Okay. So, why are we here? We're here because a man named Eric Maria Remark wrote a book published in 1928 called All Quiet on the Western Front. And before I talk about the book, let me give you a little backstory of how I was introduced to this. Read this in high school English. But the story is a little more deeper than that. I can't just leave it at that. Um, I think I've said several times on this podcast my reasons for joining the military. I was a very troubled child. I got in trouble probably more than your average troublemaking child. Um, when I got to high school, I was put in the bad kids English class. However, this kind of worked out in my favor because my teacher for a couple years in this class was probably the best teacher that ever came out of our high school. His name was Mr. Harrington, but we called him Big H. Now, Big H was an interesting guy, uh, Korean War veteran. 
Before the war, he graduated from University of Southern California, where he played football. And he wasn't a big guy. So back then, these monsters that are playing football now didn't exist. They were just your average guys that were athletic, and they played football. But um, yeah, he was a Korean War veteran. He was a fighter pilot. He got shot down. He was taken as prisoner of war. He had his prisoner of war tattooed on his arm. Um, he, he he would just get so pissed off at us in class when we were. I if I wasn't sitting outside and him telling me to count the leaves on the tree, or count the holes in the ceiling tiles, <laughs> something like that. I, yeah, he used to get so pissed. But at the same time, I think there was that love hate relationship. Like he respected a few of us, and I think he took just. He was just very fond of kids. He was just a very good dude. And I, you're probably confused. I'm saying, well, why would he sit you outside? Well, because because I was the jackass. But when I wasn't being a jackass, I actually listened to him. He uh, he was very fond of classic literature. He, um, you know, we read the John Steinbeck's The Pearl, um, A Catcher in the Rye. Jesus, what are some of the other ones? That's where I was first introduced to Hemingway. Um, Damn it, it's going to bother me. Hold on. I, I'm having a brain fart. If I don't... Well, we read Old Man in the Sea, but that's not the one I'm talking about. It's the World War I novel. A Farewell to Arms. I don't know how I didn't remember that. Yes, so I was first introduced to Farewell to Arms also in his class. But my favorite book of all time in high school English was... Im Westen Nix Nuls. All Quiet on the Western Front. You know, the, the way he told is he would read it with us, and I don't know. It just it just had a huge impact on me, this book. And not only did I also get an appreciation for classic literature. Um yeah, so I read it once in high school. Read it years later. I, well, the second time I read it was probably about maybe 15 years ago. And it was just as good of a book as it was now. It's crazy. I, every time I read it, I, I think of Big H. And I actually scanned through the book before I did this episode. So I was looking at, over it through the weekend. Again, I thought of Big H. Oh, and by the way, happy belated Veterans Day to all you veterans out there. I hope you had a great safe and fun weekend and celebrated Veterans Day. So cheers to all of you. So yeah, that was uh, that was my introduction to All Quiet on the Western Front was high school English. Now, before I get into the movie, I want to talk a little bit more about the novel. So let me give you some backstory on Eric Maria Remark. He was a novelist born in Germany in 1898. His most famous novel being the reason why I'm doing this episode, That's All Quiet on the Western Front. Remark changed his name after the war to what we know it as today. It used to be Eric Paul Remark, spelled R-E-M-A-R-K. He took on his mother's name, Maria, in honor of her. Obviously, he was a mama's boy or close to his mom. He also changed the spelling of his last name when he published All Quiet on the Western Front 
and to also honor his French ancestors. And today it's spelled R-E-M-A-R-Q-U-E. Remarque did participate in the Great War, obviously on the Imperial German Army side. He was conscripted at the age of 18. In June of 1917, he was moved into the Western Front. He fought in the trenches between Torholt and Hautelst. On the 31st of July, 1917, he was badly wounded by shell shrapnel on the leg, arm, and neck. His wounds were bad enough to be transported to a hospital in Germany where he would recover for the remainder of the war. So Remark didn't spend a great deal of time in the trenches before being wounded. All Quiet on the Western Front wasn't necessarily about his experience during the war. Remark began interviewing soldiers about their experience while he was recovering in the hospital and also after the war. He, uh, it, he sort of summed up everything into one experience, and this is how he wrote the book, which was first published, I believe, in 1928 or, or it was 1929. I guess I can just look at the book. I got it right here. Well, yeah, I think it's 1928. <clears throat> Well, right away, this was viewed as anti-war. I'll get to that in a moment. In 1933, Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister, declared Remarque's writings as unpatriotic and was banned in Germany. The book was removed from all libraries and restricted from being sold or published in the country. Other countries that banned the book was Austria... I believe back then it was Czechoslovakia um, and Italy. This was just the book. The 1930 movie was banned in Germany, Austria, Italy, Australia, and France for decades. Now, let's, let's talk about anti-war. So, I don't know. I mean, there's a line you got to draw. What is anti-war? So this is labeled as one of the greatest war novels of all time. So you yourself, would you consider this an anti-war novel or just a war novel? I mean, I guess I never thought of this as an anti-war piece of propaganda. Now, you take something like Johnny Got His Gun, and maybe I can see there's a little anti-war propaganda in there, but... I don't know. I mean, this literally, literally was just a novel. I mean, I mean, what is anti-war? Do they expect a war novel to have just a Chuck Norris, Rambo, just where all they're doing is glorifying and, and just highly talking about killing? I mean, I think I mentioned this in the last episode or, or a couple episodes ago. Yeah, Ernst Younger. A badass with the German army. Killed a lot of people. He, uh, I don't say he loved being in the war, but he felt it was his duty. And if he was going, he was going to make the best of it. But even if you read Storm of Steel, you, you get sort of a human side from Ernst Younger. It, it always, 
you know, the whole book, he's not sitting here glorifying war. There's a human side to it where even at some point you could tell he's really hurting from the war, from losing buddies, from being shot multiple times, from the horrors that he's seen. So I don't really, I can't sit here and say that even Ernst Younger glorified war. So when you hear about all these books being labeled as anti-war, just I just have to question it. I mean, where, where's the line drawn of what's anti-war or what's just a guy or a gay or girl just writing a war novel, you know, and that's not glorifying war. I mean, I don't know. I just, I just never thought of All Quiet on the Western Front as anti-war. You know, the Germans called it unpatriotic right before the outbreak of World War II because they didn't want their soldiers getting demoralized or, you know, I guess just not having any good thoughts about war. And I guess, I guess I can understand that. But I mean, if you're just talking about a novel, I mean, I think the word anti-war just is a little loosely used a lot of times during, for books, for movies. Um, I don't know. That's my thought on it. I mean, what do you guys think? What what would you consider anti-war? Would do you consider all quiet on the Western Front anti-war propaganda? I would actually be interested in uh, hearing some thoughts on that. And if you did, I mean, I I definitely like to hear that. Um. Yeah, I don't know. So all quiet on the Western Front wasn't Remark's only novel. He was he has many great books under his belt. I'm currently reading The Black Obelisk right now, and great book. It's not what this episode's about, so I won't go into that. Okay, now, let me talk about the movie, and uh, I'll give you my review. So how about how do we do that? So there's three versions. Oh, wait. By the way, about the novel. So... If you, you can go onto YouTube and you can uh, you can watch some interviews from Eric Maria Remark and he talks about this and he's saying how you know this was first published when it first came out it was a, a nationwide bestseller this is before you know it was obviously obviously seen as anti-war put on the ban list but it sort of moved out of Germany and became this international sort of thing in America. America was one of the biggest ones to promote this this book. So it's really interesting to see this movie just come out in 2022 because I'm sure I'll say this again, but it's this is going to be the first German v- version movie, which you, you, I don't know. I don't get that. Well, I'll get into that. I'm just, again, I'm rambling. All right, there's three versions. Two movies and one made-for-TV version all of which based on the classic novel. The first version, a U.S. movie directed by Lewis Milestone, released in 1930 with, get this, a $1.2 million budget. That's quite a large budget for 1930. The second version, also a U.S. version, was directed by Delbert Mann, released in 1979. And this was a made-for-TV movie put together by CBS Corporation. The movie starred Ernest Borgnine and Richard Thomas. Um, yeah. Ernest Borgnine, that's all you have to say. How many great movies has that guy been in? 
Richard Thomas, you guys might know him from the original It movie. Guy's been in a lot of movies. So some really great actors in, in that little made-for-TV series. Some fantastic version. There's, there's some flaws, though. It's watching German <laughs> army talk in English. If it was in German by German actors, it would have just... Well, I'd rate it at a 10, maybe a 7. It probably would have been closer to that 10 mark. But another flaw is the German soldiers are wearing the Pickelhaub, the Pickelhaub helmet. The Stahlhelm was already distributed out to the soldiers by 1916. So this version really kind of does go off the book a little bit more. But the inaccuracy is, really stands out is that helmet. They were willing to... Balmer gets to the front in 1917, they would have been wearing the Stahlhelm. Um, maybe there was a reason for this. I don't know. Maybe they saw the Stahlhelm as sort of too, <laughs> I don't know, too Nazi-ish for CBS TV. So they decided let's use the Picklehelm. Could be. I, I don't know. Um, I would imagine somebody on that set knew that wasn't right. Also, when the soldiers are running through no man's land in that show... The, if you look at the soil, it's just it's very dry dirt. Um, this was not the case on the Western Front for the most part. It was very wet and just muddy. And in the book, that's how Paul Balmer describes it. Now, the third version. The reason why I'm doing this episode. Directed by Edward Berger. Stars Felix Cumberbatch and big movie man Daniel Brühl. Brule has an extensive list of Hollywood movies under his belt. What was one of the ones that, uh, Glory Inglorious Bastards? He's the one who played that sniper. He's been in a lot of movies. He was also, um, he was in Christmas Truce, the, uh, Christmas World War I movie. Yeah, great actor. So, this version is the first and only German movie version of All Quiet on the Western Front ever. I mean, I've read a couple of things online said there was four versions. I can't find that fourth version. So to me, it doesn't exist unless I see it. If you guys have it out there or know what it is, please let me know. But this is the only German movie version. So since the book was published, everything went to America. But looks like the Germans are sort of embracing all quiet on the Western front again. And, and, and I like that. One of the best things about this movie automatically, which just takes it up of several notches, is just it's in German. German soldiers speaking German. That makes a huge difference to me. Well, as I, t- I talked about in this one of the podcasts, Paths of Glory. Such a great movie by Stanley Kubrick. That opening scene where Kirk Douglas is walking through the trenches. You got the artillery shells going off. He, they're the French soldiers. They're supposed to be Pailus. The drums beating. I mean, it's just, it's a very powerful scene. But you hear them all talking English. And you're like, just, I don't know. For me, you get, you're going to lose some points automatically for that. So this was awesome to see this movie in, a, in German language with German actors. Although Daniel Brühl's Brühl's half German. Okay, good enough. It's a great movie. All right, so here's my review on it. So I would say the movie itself doesn't actually follow the book like the 1979 made-for-movie version. 
But you know what? I like that. I appreciate that. I like this director taking a different approach, saying, you know what? I'm not going to do what they did. We're going to do it our way. Um, yeah, he, he, yes, he's following the book, but there's certain things that are off. But I like that. This guy just made it. Just, I'm, I'm putting this movie up there as one of the best war movies. And I know some of you may not agree with that because there's some good ones out there. I mean, you got Full Metal Jacket. Um I like Band of Brothers better than Saving Private Ryan, but Saving Private Ryan was still a great movie. Uh, Platoon is a freaking great one. Um, but this is uh, this is this is up there with them for me. I, I loved it, especially because it's World War One. It just gets more points. It's like I have a criteria of what makes a good movie. You have good acting. It's in its native tongue. Um, I know there's a lot of CGI, but today I like CGI, and to me the graphics were just great. I mean, for 2022, this just this just made the movie awesome. So yeah, I'm putting this movie up there with with one of the best war movies that's been made. I mean, kudos to uh, to Edward Berger for directing this thing. Um, again, there's there's different parts that are veered a little bit away from uh, from the book. I mean, if you take the part. You know the the opening of this podcast where I read that that part from chapter nine of All Quiet in the Restaurant where bombers in the uh, in the shell hole. You know that this movie was a little different, but I liked it. I liked this version. It was more. I'm just gonna stab this dude real quick, and it shows him stabbing him. He didn't spend a lot of time with him like he did in the book or the other versions. He uh, he stabs him. He has a little bit of feelings, gets the picture out, and then he goes on his way. But you can still see that that part where that's the point in the movie where or Bomber just changed. He 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 was never going to be the same. You know, I don't want to give any spoilers, but I I think everybody here pretty much knows the story. So I just have nothing but great things to say about it. I'll watch it again. Um, we're waiting for our <laughs> my wife and I. We went out and got an eighty-five inch TV. We got the surround sound with it. We're going to have this, like, this little home theater in our living room, but we're having an electrical box installed, so I didn't get to watch it on that. We watched it on a little TV. I didn't get the full effect, so I think when our home theater gets up and running, we're going to, I like I say, we, I'm for sure going to be watching this again, and I'll probably watch it several more times. I don't care. Um, there's a lot of talk about this. I've listened to several podcasts so far, and they've talked about All Quiet on the Western Front. One of uh, one of the podcasts I like is called uh, Matt and Shane's Secret Podcast with Shane Gillis um, and his buddy Matt. And they last episode, they immediately start talking about this. And I definitely didn't watch it like Shane Gillis. I didn't go get two hot dogs and a bowl of chili, <laughs> although I do appreciate that. Um, no, I definitely didn't didn't do that. I uh, Watched it with my wife. She fell asleep, and I just freaking had a good old time watching it with a little bit of bourbon. What else can I say about the movie? Yeah, uh, they were on the Stahlhelm. Everything seemed pretty accurate. Uh, historically wise, I mean, I didn't see really any big flaws that, that stood out. I mean, yeah. I thought overall, if I'm going to rate the movie, 1 out of 10, 10 being best. Um, I never give a score a 10. I mean, that's saying though you have just a perfect movie. I don't think I ever can do that. 
but I will say this is probably in the nines. It's just that good of a movie for me to where I'm going to keep watching it over and over again. Um, I thought the director did a fantastic job. Again, it's in its native language. Um, the graphics are awesome. Just well-directed. Just every everything stands out about it. Now, it's not to downplay the original version or the 1979 version. Look, the 1930 version is still a great version. You got to appreciate it for that timepiece. I mean, this is 1930. They didn't have what they have today. And when I heard they had a $1.2 million budget, geez, I don't even think they had freaking $1.2 million to make a movie back in 1930. But it's still a good version. If you haven't seen it, um, and if you're a fan of All Quiet on the Western Front, I suggest you see that. Also suggest you go watch the 1979 version because to me, the 1979 version really kind of follows the the book. Actually, that reminds me. Um, one of the things I would have liked to see in this movie, you know, again, you can, it's based off the novel, so you can just pick here and choose there what, what it's lacking. It, you, it's Nothing's ever going to be perfect. There's always going to be people that critique something, but I think for mine... And maybe I missed this, but I wanted to see them focus a little more on Corporal Himmelstas. Because in the book, you really just, you when you're reading it, you, you hate this guy. You want to reach through the book, grab this guy, and punch him in the face. Every, if you're in the military, there's always a Corporal Himmelstas. There's somebody always there that acts like that, and you want to kick his ass, you and your pals. So, I don't know. I think in this version, the 2022, I, I would have liked to see that. But, look, it's still a fucking outstanding movie with that. And I, I guess I appreciate it that they didn't want to go do the old traditional 1930 and 1979 version. But I do suggest you guys go out and watch those versions if you haven't. And most of all, this really comes from the novel. I saw an online was voter questionnaire saying which version's better 1930 1979 2022 or the book to me that's just so asinine you cannot throw the book in with the movies i mean the book's always the best this is the classic to me one of the greatest war novels of all time again i'm not gonna sit here and say it's the best world war one book i've ever read because i still think storm of steel is probably the best but that's a true story this is just a novel, but this is probably the best novel. Although Farewell to Arms is pretty good. So I, I think these two are probably neck and neck. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll take All Quiet and push front over that. But you be the judge. If you're out there, if you've seen the movie, if you like the movie and you haven't read the book, I just highly recommend you go pick up the book and read it. You're going to thank yourself you did. So look... Again, I know this wasn't going to be the longest episode. I don't know what. I might get 30 minutes out of this. That's pretty good. I'm probably not even going to edit this. I think I'm just going to roll with it raw. Um, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate all of you listening to this. My review of All Quiet on the Western Front. My little take on it. My little two cents. If you're a fan of the podcast, you'll know I just kind of ramble on sometimes. Especially if I'm not scripted something. Sometimes I just sound like a complete jackass. So don't hate me too much. Um, 
Yeah. So on the next episode, episode 54, I'm going to jump into part two of the Ottomans. Also in that episode, I will recap episode 52 to get us get us caught up because I know there's been some time. And again, to all you listeners, all supporters of the show, thank you for supporting me during these timelines. You know, like I said in the last episode, my wife and I are moving. This was not an easy move. It, it took us about two weeks to move everything, get settled in. Um, man, and as you get older, I... If you can go get movers, do it because as you get older, it hurts. And we got it done. We powered through it. But man, I think you hit that age where you just realize, like, where did I get all this shit? You look at your garage everywhere and oh, my God. I mean, we still did a purge of a lot of crap that we don't use. And we still ended up with just, I don't know, definitely hesitant to call it junk because maybe I will use it all one day. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Jesus. I just know I lug the thing around and I got a garage full now and I got to organize the garage. But the important thing is this place right here, this little podcast studio slash office slash man cave is up and running. It's looking good. I got my desk. It's one of those uh, electric lowering and raising desks. So I get bored of sitting. I can raise it. Um, got some decor coming up. I got a lazy boy behind me. On the next episode where I don't where I don't script something, it's just candid. I'm just gonna turn on the mic, start talking. I'm gonna sit in lazy boy. I'm gonna get a little get a little bit more relaxed because I do notice when I'm in this office chair, I feel more because <laughs> this is where I work too. I think I put on this professional sort of attitude. I, I need to kick the feet up. I need to kick the feet up. Get the glass near me and just just kind of relax just a little bit more. But hey, it's a learning process. What are you going to do? All right, folks. Again, thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. You listeners, you supporters, you are the best. You're the reason why I keep doing this. And I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get these episodes out better. Thank you for allowing me the time to get settled in. So until the next episode, take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.